This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, Spectator's daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. Now, a question parts of the media, Labour politicians and even some Tory MPs have been asking this week is, where is Liz Truss? And this morning she broke her silence and embarked on a pre-Tory conference media round of BBC Regional Radio. We're just going to play you a few clips of how that went for her. We need to borrow more this winter for the energy crisis that we're facing. And we're I think that was the right thing mortgage. to do. We're that going is... to spend more in mortgage fees under what you've done based on the predictions than we would have saved with energy. I don't think anybody is arguing that we shouldn't have acted on energy. Which is... Why can't you tell us this morning there won't be a return to fracking in Lancashire? Well, I don't, I don't accept the premise of your question. Uh, Why? It's certainly the case at present. Uh, well, because what I've said is if there is local consent, we will go ahead. We need to explore where there is local consent and where there isn't. And we're still doing that work. Your I don't think we should rule out the whole okay. of Lancashire. You talked about how it's a, a success in other countries. But in America, they do it in the middle of nowhere. Do you actually know where Preston New Road is, where they have been fracking? Well, I don't, I, I don't think I've been to that site in the past. Shouldn't you? Well, as I've said, we will only go ahead with projects where there is local consent. I'm very, very clear about that. Fraser... What's your reaction hearing that? I think this was summed up best by Angela Rayner, uh, who said that Liz Truss's long, painful silence has been replaced by a series of short, painful silences. And that's certainly what jumped up at me. I mean, you, you kind of, for a while, you thought she was giving the interview from like Zimbabwe or something because it was such a dilemma line. But then you worked out that she was, she really hadn't heard these questions before. She wasn't prepared for them. She wasn't prepared for people saying, look, my mortgage has gone up. How do you defend this? Blaming her for the mortgages. I'm not quite sure who she's got around her right now talking to her about the, about the reaction or whether she's already in that sort of bunkerish mindset where you, you blame and you newspapers were being mean rather than look at the opinion polls. But it seemed as if she really was faced with incredibly difficult questions. Questions, by the way, made all the more difficult because she only gave the, the journalists five minutes. Now, that was a tactic in trying to tame the questions. It backfired badly. If you've only got five minutes, that means you've only got about two or three questions. You want to make sure your question isn't a, a supine soundbite you want, so you end in for the kill. And presenter after presenter went in for the kill. She was taken aback and we saw the same kind of reticence and slightly sort of um, rabbit in the headlight looks that we saw when she first did her first television debate. That was when it looked as if she was going to bomb before she found her stride. So I think when it comes to explaining what her budget is doing and trying to explain people's concerns, she has not yet found the vocabulary, um, nor yet has her chancellor, nor yet, as far as I'm aware, has anybody else in her party. 
is not just Liz Truss, but the Tory party as a whole, which seems lost for words right now. James, speaking to figures in government, and particularly those around Downing Street in the past few days, it's been quite striking that they all seem much calmer and acting as though people in the building are in a calmer place than MPs and, of of course, the markets, but also just people looking on. So do you think now that Liz Truss is out there doing media, um, that sense of calm is colliding with reality? Yeah, I think think it'd be very hard if you were the Prime Minister to come back from that media round this morning and think that everything is going well. I think you saw there is this fundamental problem, which is that, not to, to revisit yesterday's podcast, but that... The government's fiscal statement has exacerbated and brought forward the likely rise in interest rates. For people with mortgages, that could well wipe out any tax cut, in nearly all cases will actually, wipe out any tax cut that they get from this budget. I actually thought, though, perhaps another interesting thing in terms of, on Liz Truss's logic, she wants tax cuts and reform to get the economy going. And you actually saw in that BBC Radio lecture interview about fracking the difficulty of this. During the leadership campaign, Liz Truss said that she, uh, as Rishi Sunak did, that she supported fracking when there was local consent. But it was never defined what local consent meant. I mean, you saw in that radio, BBC Radio Lancashire interview, how difficult it is to push through reforms that are unpopular because the presenter is saying the county council doesn't want it, the MPs who are Tories don't want it. So what, where is the local consent? And she can't. And Liz Truss didn't have, because Jacob Rees-Mogg doesn't have, a clear explanation of what local consent means. And I think that that is actually something that people should take note of, because if in the next six weeks, as Kwasi Kwasi saying, it's just message to MPs, they're going to come out with lots of big, bold supply-side reforms, there'll be lots of difficult arguments like this that they're going to have about changes that they think will be good for the country, but are a hard sell to people. And I think that the, the challenge they're going to have to do is get, is get really good at selling. You know, Liz Truss talked about the, at the beginning of her premiership, how she's prepared to do unpopular things. But you've also got to be able to sell the unpopular things you're doing. You've got to be able to persuade people that these unpopular things are ultimately going to, to bring them and the country benefit. I spoke to one of the MPs who's, who backed Liz Truss earlier on, somebody who's quite senior in her campaign. And he was saying that he thinks this is one of the bad, I think the words he used was calamitous, aspects of how things are going so far. He was saying that she was a whole bunch of radical things she wants to do, but there is a rule in politics. The more radical you want to be, the better case you need to make, the more explanation you need to give, the more pitch ruling you need to do, which is something which she says that she's not doing here. She's saying she's going to do fracking, but hasn't found a vocabulary for explaining what local consent means. And then there's the supply side reform. Normal people don't go around using phrases like supply side reform. And so unless you can articulate this, then you cannot make the argument. You can't expect economic facts to make the argument. And you might argue, as the NIESR think tank does argue, that economic growth is going to make a Lazarus-style recovery next year, go from 0.5% to 2%. Now, if that happens, the Tories might think, well, we'll be judged by the, the proof in the economic pudding. It all works. But John Major found out that numbers don't speak for themselves. They need to be articulated. The politics isn't a numbers game. It's about making and winning arguments. And that is what Liz Truss is currently struggling to do, to persuade people that the Labour Party is incorrect when it says that Truss's mad tax cuts for the rich have crashed the economy and pushed everybody's rates up. And just on that point, Fraser, it's not hard, obviously, to find people to criticise Liz Trust at the moment. And I think particularly those who backed Rishi Sunak feel very vindicated at some of the things they're seeing now. But you mentioned uh, MPs who have backed Liz Trust. Do you get the sense they are 
withdrawing their support from her? Is it more, or are they reconsidering? Or where are we at in the level of unhappiness amongst people who put her in the position she is now? Well, this is what I'm writing my Telegraph column on tomorrow. I've spent the last couple of days um, calling up the MPs of Bankless Trust and contrasting what they say on the record with what they say off the record. Now, the thing is that they signed up for £30 billion of cuts. That's what she basically promised during her campaign. And then she said, look, we can fund this by pushing the borrowing limit. Her supporters more or less, more or less backed that, and they rejected Rishi Sunak when he said that would trash the economy. But instead, you ended up getting a massive package, closer to £120 billion, due to a massive energy support thing, which was about... Um, again, another ally of List Trust told me the energy package was four times as much as it could have been, because it went to subsidising rich people as well as poor people, and that it, it wasn't targeted. Now, the thing is, I can imagine James about to say, well, what do you expect? List Trust promised unfunded tax cuts, and that's exactly what she gave. Nobody's got the right to back List Trust to be surprised by this. That's what you think, James, isn't it? I think she has a mandate from the party membership for what she is doing, in that she was clear during the campaign that she was going to cut taxes, take on the Treasury orthodoxy, but the idea of trying to balance the books, she really killed as abacus economics. I, I, look, I mean, even, can... even the 45, do you think she's a mandate no, I, for... I think I think she did not seek a specific mandate for the forty five P, but I don't think it's a, I don't mean given the tone and tenor of the leadership campaign and the intellectual argument it was making, but it is a surprise. One of the things I've actually been thinking about Liz Trust a lot is do you remember a, a, a Yes Prime Minister episode called the, the the Party Political Broadcast? Yeah. It has a brilliant bit in it. I think this is where Liz Trust has fallen down, where there is a TV producer based on um, called Gordon, clearly based on Gordon Reese, who the person who gave Margaret Thatcher voice coaching and in, in, in image training. And in it, um, Hacker is asking him about the set and what he should wear and all this. And, and, and the TV producer says, "Look, if you're not actually planning to say anything, you should have a very modern desk with a computer on it. Remember, this is in the '80s when a computer was a big symbol of modernity. Um, you should have kind of glass bookshelves." and kind of bright yellow wallpaper to disguise the fact you're not actually saying anything new. You should look radical. But if you were actually going to announce something really radical, you should do it with a nice oak desk with uh, bound, leather-bound books behind you and lots of soft furnishings because you need that reassurance. And I think that is perhaps a mistake in terms of both perhaps both the markets and public opinion in some ways of the fiscal event that she had on Friday, which is they chose to emphasise the radicalism rather than coming out with the measures in a very sober way, coming out with an OBR forecast at the same time, and making everything seem less dramatic. Instead, they walked in saying, we're going to break a cycle of stagnation, we're going to upturn 20 years of economic policy. And everyone, so everyone at that point immediately piled in to see what it was, and, and they looked very closely. And I think if you look at any major economy right now, you don't see very pleasant things if you get too close. And so that was the problem. And um, Fraser, Kwasi Kwarteng's message MPs this afternoon ultimately saying thanks for the input and saying he understands their concern, reminding MPs they are one team and need to remain focused, though I suppose it will not be a focus on the polls. He says in this message, we are working at pace to align our spending policy to show the markets there is a clear plan. Do you think there is now an acceptance they perhaps should have done that first? Yes, I think we can read into that, Kwasi Kwarteng admitting that this was the half of his budget that was missing. 
if you're going to ask the markets to borrow 70 billion quid, you've got to give some idea of how you're going to pay the money back and how you're going to make the, the balance. 70 um, billion more? Sorry? 70 billion more? Yes, exactly. But if you look at the guilt issuance, this is how much, how much more they want. And they've never really said um, how they were going to balance the books to do that. It was an incredibly audacious move. And uh, the word on the street in Westminster is that even Kwasi Kwarteng himself advised against this, thinking you should be saying something about spending. But Liz Truss was saying, no, no, um, don't, don't be a sissy, just just go ahead. So I think um, Kwasi Kwarteng is now trying to make himself the man to reassure the markets, because there's also interesting talk in Westminster that he might be fired as Chancellor. Um, I was speaking to um, two MPs yesterday who can see circumstances where he gets fired after Tory party conference. Now, I don't believe this will happen, but I can, I'll can. i just quickly um, re- recount the scenario here just to give listeners an idea of the sort of conversations that are having, taking place in Westminster. The scenario is that MPs do not vote for her finance bill. In the British system, if you don't vote for the budget, that's a confidence vote. She loses confidence. It's game over. So if she comes to believe that she's in danger of losing the um, the bill, losing the finance bill. She would have to do anything she can to keep from losing it, to survive, in other words. Now, for that, she'd have to get the confidence of the markets back, and for that, she would need to put as Chancellor of the Exchequer somebody who could would have the confidence of the markets. So we're talking as sort of perhaps Simon Clark, but there's also talking, not, not that Rishi Sunak would do it, but somebody like him, perhaps Sajid Javid could be hauled back from holiday for the 12th time in his career, or perhaps... Um, you could get Nadim Zahawi back. I'm not, it doesn't really matter, but if you were to do that, it would be a symbol that Liz Truss is now curtailed. There's a dual premiership, and that from that moment forward, she would not be at liberty to, to freak out the markets. Now, by the way, I don't see this scenario happening, but the fact that it's being suggested, repeated, put to me by um, you know a, a number of MPs, it shows you the kind of mood in the party right now. When they get back after the recess, there's going to be a vote that evening on national insurance. Now, if there's a rebellion there, this does raise the prospect of a rebellion on the budget bill, which does raise a prospect of Liz Truss's survival. And now it's funny that a Tory party, which is fresh away from the guillotine from getting rid of Boris Johnson, should be still, rather than putting the guillotine back in the museum, keeping it out for future use. This is, after all, Europe's leaders in regicide, and it seems that that aspect of the party hasn't quite gone away. But I wonder, James, if you're hearing similar things. Someone yesterday, a uh, former cabinet minister, made this argument that you know that you could make the the, the prime minister a prisoner of their chancellor. Mm. And that this would be a way of doing it. The name they floated to me was Sajid Javid. You know that, that he basically would become chancellor, and the idea is that Liz Truss wouldn't be able to do anything without his agreement, and so therefore. You reassure the markets. I have two notes of caution about this. One, this budget, everyone in Westminster knows, was you know Liz Truss and Kwarteng Kwarteng's, and perhaps even more Liz Trusses than his. So you can't I'm, blame him. For so us. I'm not sure that you can say you know Boris Johnson could have credibly said. I disagree with Rishi Sunak on economic policy. I'm sacking him because I don't like the decisions he's taken. Or, to take a different example, Theresa May in 2017, after the last great self-inflicted Tory political wound, which is her social care policy that led to her losing the majority in the early election that she didn't have to call, she sacked her two aides. And because they had such power in Downing Street, uh, V. Hill and Nick Timothy, that worked uh, as a way of placating the Tory party. Uh, and and the, my other question about Liz Truss is, Liz Truss is... 
unlike Boris Johnson, Liz Truss is an ideologically driven politician. I'm not sure that the idea of being in office but not in power would particularly appeal to her. Fraser, one one of the other ideas when you're speaking to MPs about what could fix the current situation. So you talked about acting quasi quieting. There was something say, even just acting Chris Philp, the Chief Secretary of the Treasury, who tweeted ultimately suggesting sterling was going up, uh, only for it to then go down, uh, would send some kind of signal. But they don't think you should do anything drastic right now because it could uh, impact the markets further. But I think when you speak to Tory MPs, the idea I, I'm getting more is the sense of they could delay some of these measures and actually that would be the most as one put it to be elegant way of doing this so you delay some of these tax cuts particularly the 45 do you think that would work some way in terms of sending a signal because there are lots of MPs who just think it is just so politically difficult it is undermining everything well there's certainly a feeling now that the uh, the 45p rate which costs two billion quid is not very much in the in the grand sort of one trillion quid government budget. How it, it has given Labour a message and, and Labour's message is this is all about tax cuts for the rich and a lot of Tory MPs do not fancy facing that message on the doorstep. So they think look let's just abolish um, this tax cut for the for the upper rate taxpayers and um, this isn't about economics it's about political messaging because we simply can't afford to say, have a Labour Party saying we're cutting taxes for the rich because it's an absolutely true accusation. But then again, it's that that would require Liz Truss to row back to eat some humble pie. The lady would have to be for turning. And right now I'm not sure the lady is for turning. She's pretty far away from that. She is. Uh, she did have a rough ride this morning, but overall she still is defiant. If you look at the pound today, the pound is up a couple of cents. I mean, let's let's just see how the markets react in the next week. I think she will be craving vindication and she'll be thinking to herself, look, everybody's getting ahead of themselves. These chicken littles on the Spectator podcast are talking as if the voters have made up their mind. But you wait for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and the markets will be back to normal and my plan for growth can continue. So I think she would. Re- it would require her to be facing political death a lot more clearly, I think, than for her to row back in a single thing of what she's done. I mean, you're quite right, but delaying the tax cuts would be better than abandoning any of them. But to resile from that agenda in any way would, have to, would be tantamount to what Philip Hammond did when he basically came up with a, a tax increase on, um, on self-employed, which he had to abolish after there was a kerfuffle. And, and after that, you become a lame duck. So I think she still is going all out here. She's still going for broke. She, her, she She's a gambler, and she's decided to go big or go home. And I think she only thinks there are these two options. So right now, for as long as she can possibly get away from it, she'll stick to plan A, which is to go big and hope that the markets come around. James, we are gearing up for what I think will be one of the trickier Conservative Party conferences for a leader, um, ultimately starting this weekend in Birmingham. An interesting point an MP made to me earlier was that while they think that Liz Truss should be thinking about delaying some of these tax cuts, conference could have the opposite effect. Lots of figures are staying away. Rishi Sunak is not going to be there. Boris Johnson is not going to be there. And actually, it could become a bit of a speaking to the party faithful. Do you think that could... uh, enhances view in Liz Truss's mind that she she should stick to her radicalism? I I think there is, yes. I think the other danger of the Tory conference is 
the markets will be pouring over everything that is said there. And you know, normally what is said at you know, think tank receptions at Tory conference uh, doesn't move the markets. But I think actually this is a, mo- a time when it could. You know, if someone suggests that there are more tax cuts to come without talking about the kind of spending cuts that Fraser was just, was, was just discussing, then I mean that could have a negative effect. I personally think that because the Bank of England are intervening in the gilts market until the 14th of October, the markets will be relatively calm until that point. But I think what is certainly true is that conference is very difficult, I, I think, now, because remember, you know, a majority of Tory members voted for Liz Truss, and I think a lot of them voted for her because they wanted tax cuts, come what may. And I think the difficulty for her is, you know, the temptation as a politician is when you're with people who agree with you and who believe in you, is to, is to, is to say, is to talk about your shared faith, essentially. And the difficulty for her is that she will have to restrain herself from doing that. It, it will be, it will be, I think conference speeches for party leaders are always difficult. This one will be particularly difficult because of a tightrope it now has to walk. Do you think Liz Truss is going to have a good conference, Fraser? Someone in Downing Street said to me that she did need a good conference. Uh, Well, she does. I mean, by the way, conference is her most favoured environment. This is her Las Vegas. This is where she goes to really enjoy herself. And she is at her happiest when she's revving up the party faithful and she will be doing her best there. Harder to do so when, you know, the polls are showing that the Tories have lost their um, lead for economic competence for the first time in the best part of 15 years. Um, but she will try. And if there's anywhere that she can go to get her mojo back, it will be Birmingham in that conference. Uh, by the way, I, I'm relatively sceptical about the ability of conference to move the dial here. They're quite stage-managed um, things now. I mean, you know, there, there, there will be you know, a few speeches, etc. There'll be a few fringes, lots of spectator fringes. If anybody listening is in Tory conference, you're very welcome to join us, free gin and tonic and all of our um, various discussions. And you'll need them if you have a look at the opinion polls and you're a Conservative voter, because I can't quite remember when things have looked so bleak for a Conservative government economically. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. 